I think my winner is probably from episode one. I think the winner is going to be Peter. I've thought, and I continue to think that. I, my prediction was right last year. Last year, I predicted David would win from the first episode, and I think he'll be joined in the final by Lottie and Mark with a K, simply on the basis of his beautiful hair. Hello and welcome back to the Bake Down podcast. This is Josh Landy, founder of Bake With A Legend, the company that gives you the chance to bake alongside former Bake Off stars. And you can now do this from anywhere in the world with our virtual classes. New classes have gone up this week, including Howard Middleton's Gingerbread House and Garden Cheesecake, Ian Cummings' Opera Cake and Dan Beasley Harling's Pastes in Nata are back for a Black Friday special. So do check those and all the other classes out at bakewithalegend.com forward slash online classes. Now, for those who enjoyed this week's episode, at the time of recording, we even have a couple of places left for Howard's Eclair class this Saturday, where you'll almost certainly fare better than Linda did in the tent this week. Now, a reminder, you can use the code podcast to sign up to our online classes to get 10% off. And we're also busy arranging dozens of online get-togethers, celebrating birthdays and team-building events, and our December diaries filling up with virtual Christmas party events. So do get in touch if you might be interested. And so to this week's podcast, we're halfway through Bake Off 2020. And I'm delighted to say the brilliant Dan Beasley Harling returned to join Howard, Jane and I for another podcast. And I started off this week's podcast by asking Dan for his overall thoughts on Pastry Week. The showstopper in particular, I really enjoyed. It reminded me very much of the melting ball challenge from, from our season, the melting chocolate ball challenge that we did. Um, and you knew that some of them were going to collapse and there was going to be jeopardy and excitement. So, um, yeah, overall, I really enjoyed it. Actually, I thought it was a fantastic episode. And I thought the challenges were, they gave us the right balance between things that were achievable and manageable for people at home and also giving us a bit of peril and TV entertainment as well. So I, I really enjoyed this week's episode. We, as ever, have had a few emails in, so, well, I can push this to everyone, but we'll start with you, Howard. Um, this one comes from Mark Crilly. He's in Michigan, USA. Thanks so much for your delightful podcast. I immediately rush to listen to it every week, immediately after watching the show, and it's always a delight from start to finish. My question is, when it comes to time to choose a star baker and or which person must leave a tent, do you think the judges are forcing themselves to consider only how well or poorly contestants did on that particular week, or are they allowing themselves to consider how everyone has done since the start? Yeah, I think it. I, I think it does to a certain extent. Although, as we know from past experience, sometimes um, a star baker one week can be the person who was eliminated the following week. So I, I don't think it, it necessarily weighs up like that. I think it is predominantly on what happened during that particular week. I would just disagree slightly with Howard. I wouldn't say predominantly with what's happened that week. I would say totally what happens that week. I must admit this year I haven't disagreed with their, their, with their decisions at all. I know almost before they say who's going to go home. I know exactly who's going to go home. It's not a matter of building some tension and going, oh, could it be Howard or could it be Jane? No, it's always Jane. You know, so I, I I think they judge it on the, the the week's bakes. I'm sure some people would disagree with me. How would you think, Dan? No, I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. I mean, I had I remember that like the week that I went home and it was gonna be between me and Manon. Um, we were sort of the bottom two, and I was clearly the worst. 
And there was some suggestion that maybe because I'd been slightly better overall, they would have, have kept me. And people thought that maybe that would factor into the judging process. But it, it doesn't at all. It's literally just on the basis of that week. And I can't remember. I mean, I know there have been some decisions that not everyone was happy about, but I can't ever remember thinking I've seen a decision where someone got sent home where they shouldn't have got sent home in favour of sort of a, a baker who was more favoured. I, I haven't, I can't think of an example of that that, that that makes any sense to me. That doesn't, I don't think that happens. I don't think that's how it happens. I would say what you see on screen has been edited to build a little bit of tension. And having been in the tent, um, you're probably very much more aware of some of the disasters people have said. You don't hear all the comments. You can't do because there's hours and hours and hours of filming. And they do want to have a bit of tension and um, a bit of, oh, will they, won't they go home? So if you're watching and you think it's unfair, you haven't been privy to everything that's gone on in the tent. And I think being there, you know that the decisions that they've made are the right ones. Yeah, just to add to that, I think sometimes they edit it just to make things look closer than they actually are. Mm. For example, in week two in my series, I was sort of, it looked like I was up for Star Baker and they made it look like it was very close between me and Rahul. When in fact it, it wasn't, it, Rahul had obviously won, but they, they actually cut out some of the slightly negative feedback I'd had to make it seem like it was closer than it was. So I think some, obviously the editing is sometimes, um, it, it's not outright deceitful, but it sort of heightens the, the reality a little bit to make it more dramatic and interesting for television. And I yeah, think absolutely. Sometimes people are a bit too taken by the drama and they do sort of question the decisions. But I think, I honestly think the decisions are largely very, very fair. I think sometimes it is harder to um, to decide who is Star Baker because I think you will get a week where, for instance, you know, that there are a number of people who potentially are in the running for Star Baker. And by contrast, you'll occasionally get a week where it's where they're struggling to find out who was the best of a pretty bad bunch. Um, so I think this week, fortunately, was one of those where there were lots of, well, quite a few people, I thought, who could have been Star Baker this week. We've also had an email in from Stephanie over in Virginia. Um, she says, your recap podcasts are part of my weekly ritual here in central Virginia, although I have to avoid them until the weekend since GBBO doesn't air in the States until Friday. I thought you'd like to know that in the States, the process of boiling bagels is called kettling. As far as I know, this is the only usage of the word for baking or anything else for that matter. I enjoyed meeting Karen this week on your podcast, and I love it whenever Jane says, give it a go. Speaking of bakes, we neophytes might try. Sometimes I'm reluctant to try something outside of my baking comfort zone, and Jane's words remind me that failures are not tragedies, and at the very least, our dog will probably enjoy them. So, Dan, what happens if something goes wrong in your kitchen? Everything goes right in my kitchen. Um, <laughs> I've got... Um, I mean, obviously, I'm a complete pig, so it usually goes down my gullet. Um, but I've also got a couple of small children who eat, will eat pretty much anything. Um, so, no, I don't know. I, I, to be honest, I usually just eat it myself. I think that's one part of the joy of baking, as, uh, as every good baker knows, is that your first job after you finish baking is to quickly eat all the ugly ones yourself to hide all the evidence. Uh, so we, I think that... I, 
you know, when I bake, I usually don't eat lunch that day. I think, you know, that's, <laughs> it's taken as read that the leftovers are all going to end in my mouth. So how do you stay so slim, Dan? I'm not slim. Middle age has not been kind to me, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk to me about it. <laughs> well, look, whilst Dan thinks that he's only been invited on to talk about pastry weeks to relive uh, what was week six in his year, I, I promise it's not true, but we'll get stuck into the episode now. Howard, the first challenge this week, the Cornish pasty, uh, eight identical thereafter, any fillings they were told. They had two hours to do this. Now, you know, Mark with a C was at uh, a great pains to, to make us aware of where he was from, which was, of course, you know, living in Cornwall. He said there was extra pressure on him. Did you, did you feel he was, uh, he was right to say that? Um, I think he was to a, a certain extent. I thought like he did um, a very interesting take on a Cornish pasty, uh, monkfish, samphire and, and lemon. Um, so it was, it was clearly a kind of um, seaside pasty as much as um, a genuine Cornish pasty. But uh, but yeah, I I think he he did say that he felt the pressure was on. So um, I think sometimes when when you have challenges like that, it's like if you're from Yorkshire and and you expect to do Yorkshire puddings or something like that, there is a little bit of extra pressure. Well, well, Dan, there perhaps was pressure when Prue said she wanted to eat the best pasties she's ever had. I mean, that's putting the pressure on these bakers. Yeah, it's uh. <laughs> Didn't seem very fair. Um, I think, you know, the, the similar thing to what we saw with the brownies uh, last week is I think a lot of people tried to reinvent the wheel um, with their Cornish pasties. And I think a lot of the fillings ended up, they said they were sort of quite dry. Um, I think if I were to do the Cornish pasty challenge, I probably would have stuck. I, God, I always say I'd have stuck traditional. I'd have stuck with sort of the classics. But I think a really fatty meat is probably your best choice. So something like a lamb or, you know, a beef with a 20% fat, like you make a burger with or something to keep it nice and moist. Um, but some of the, the things that they tried did work. Um, Lottie's um, pie, uh, sausage and mash one, I thought that sounded delicious. And I did share Prue's concern that maybe it wouldn't work on a technical level. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm glad it did. I really wanted to eat that. I thought that sounded amazing. Bit of pastry, bit of mash, bit of sausage. Sounds lovely. Jane, you know, Dan mentioned about being traditional there. Did Laura go the most traditional of all with, with sort of cheese and onion? She kept it fairly simple. Oh, yes, she did keep it very simple. And I thought she made a good choice. I, it, it, you are always tempted to chuck the kitchen sink at some of these bakes and, as Dan said, reinvent the wheel. Um you know, traditional pasty has also got got meat in it. And when I was looking looking up recipes for traditional pasties, so I haven't made pasty for years. I'm going to this weekend actually because my husband really fancies um, really, fa really fancies them. You very often cook the meat in the pastry, so you're not pre-cooking it. And I'm sure people from Cornwall will haul me over the coals for this because I'm really not talking from a great um, amount of knowledge. But I think, that again, it was time when they were all making their fillings and cooking them and and then perhaps not having enough time to cool them down, the fillings down before you put them in the pastry because you really mustn't put a hot filling in a pastry before you bake it. Um, I think they all tripped up 
that way. Um, and, and where Lottie didn't come unstuck is she put all her meat in raw and the 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 beef all cooked perfectly. You know, it just, what does it taste amazing? You know, she put her meat in raw and I think maybe that's what some of them should have done. And again, with with agreeing with Dan, it needs to be a fattier meat. People have always asked me why my burgers are so amazing. Um, and it's because I always do minimum 20% fat. If, if you use anything in a burger that's less fat, um, it's going to be dry. And the similarly for the fillings for these pasties. So, yeah, I think... I think maybe trying too hard, but my goodness, we've all been guilty of that in the tent. Howard, would you have known how many crimps you should be aiming for on a Cornish pasty? Oh, do you know, it's terrible, this, because I remember I was once on an extra slice and uh, they didn't show this particular bit, but they asked me to crimp a pasty. And I'm rubbish at crimping pasties. So um, I think just attempting to get one crimping would have been, a, you know, a, um, something that added an achievement for me well, Paul didn't know either because he was doing all that but I think he, he I don't know is he guilty of being jealous of Mark with a C because Mark with a C is slightly grizzled and better looking than Paul but Paul seems to give him some really harsh comments I think um, I think you know I think there's a I think there's a little bit of jealousy there but he said oh how many crimps and then poor old Mark was like, I don't know. Um, and then when he went back later, he said, well, how many crimps should there be? And Paul went, well, I'm not sure, 20, 21. So I'm, and I'm at the screen going, but you just gave him a hard time for not knowing how many crimps. And, and now you don't know yourself. It's funny, these things quite often happen on Bake Off where they set up something, you know, some issue like the number of crimps. It's like something that, oh, you should all know this. And it's sort of like, and nobody, nobody, it's a second thought. I, I have absolutely no idea how many crimps. I would have guessed something like 12. I would have no idea it was supposed to be that many. But yeah, I think quite often when you see things like this on TV, it's sort of the audience assumes that all bakers must know this. And I think it's just sort of trivia. I don't think it's, it's an essential part of, of, of a pasty. And um, I certainly wouldn't have got that one right. So, I've, yeah, that's not, not something I've ever heard of. Well, well Dan, in, in your pastry week, I think it was a samosa that you were, you were making. And uh, Linda, could have, Linda could have been part of your series with her effort. Oh, Linda. Linda made lovely samosas, didn't she? Um, yeah. Oh, poor Linda. I love Linda so much. Um, but, yeah, it, it didn't quite go her way this week. I was looking forward to seeing her. Um, she was going to do some stenciling with nigella seeds or something wasn't she and i was very sad that she ran out of time for that because it's very hard to decorate pastry in an attractive way and i had high hopes for her but yeah she uh, she did miss the crimping altogether um i'm surprised that she got away with that actually because i submitted quite a few briefs in my time where i got a phone call and they said oh, dan actually you can't do this you've got to do it you can't do it in that way the the brief indicates that it must be done in this way so I'm kind of surprised that that slipped through the cracks and she got all the way to making it on the show without someone saying actually Linda you can't do that so um, I'm quite surprised I'm quite surprised that she she got as far as making them and, and Howard what did you make of Peter's pasties in the in the shape of a haddock I thought they were lovely, actually. I thought it was a really interesting approach. I wasn't entirely convinced at first about the whole boiled egg in the centre. I know it was probably a little bit like a, a scotch egg, but 
I would have probably been tempted to have chopped that egg up a little bit and incorporated it a bit more with the with the habit because it was a kind of cadgery type filling. But yes, I, th- I thought they looked quite nice. It was a pity that, that Paul thought they were just a bit on the dry side, really. I have to say, the pastry fish uh, brought back PTSD for me because in my pastry week, I served up a gigantic, raw-looking fish. And, uh, oh, God, as soon as I saw those stencils, it gave me palpitations and panic attacks. <laughs> I think you did a better job than I did. I thought they looked quite nice. You know, they at least looked cooked. Um, I thought they were quite appetising. And I thought he was probably the only person who, if, if memory serves, he was the only person who tried to do something interesting with the shape. I think everyone else did something quite classic. And though, as I keep saying, sometimes classic is the way to go, especially in the early half of the season. Um, I, I, it was nice that he did something interesting. And I, I would have liked to have seen maybe a, a couple more of them try and do something a little bit more unusual. And Jane, Mark with a K, he got, did he get the best feedback of all potentially, I thought? Um, yes, I think he did. So he had his, his al- I'm probably not pronouncing this right, Alo Gobi and Paneer spice pasty. Um, he roasted cauliflower and he had paneer in it. And it said, it's what a pasty should look like. Taste beautiful, gorgeous, spot on were some of the comments. So I think Mark with a K did brilliantly there. But just going back to Peter and everybody else who did fish, they all seem to have it quite dry. And when you think those pasties probably take 35 to 40 minutes to cook and get a gorgeous colour on them, it's not surprising. If they've all pre-cooked their fish and whacking it in a pa- in, in pastry and then baking it for another 40 minutes, um, it's really unsurprising that some of these fillings were dry. But with the paneer, of course, that doesn't dry out. He's got lots of lovely things that are going to stay moist, I think. I think Mark did a, a, a brilliant job and he chose choosed what a terrible word that is and he chose short crust pastry and i think everybody who chose short crust seemed to do better than the ones that chose their rough puff pastries um because making short crust gives you a bit more time it's more traditional i believe for a pasty please pull me up on that one if i'm wrong um but it certainly gave them more time to get their fillings made and not have to fiddle around with folding rough puff and things so yeah mark did a great job actually i thought it looked it looked lovely I think Mark is brilliant, but I have to say his hair is so beautiful. I'm so enchanted by his hair. I don't know <laughs> anything he says. Uh, every, every time he comes on screen, my eyes just glance upwards um, so to his beautiful, curly locks. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard anything he says. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sam Pay. And I'm Martin Zolt-Sorstwick. And we are the two hosts of a podcast called Song, Song by, by Song, Song, where we listen every week to a track by the musical artist Tom Waits. Uh, you might know him for his gravelly voice. <coughs> uh, very nice. His appearance in films, but also his multi-decade spanning career uh, involving blues, jazz, and all sorts of other kinds of experimental music. So we're basically like a book club for Tom Waits. And if that sounds like your cup of tea, you can find us at songbysongpodcast.com or wherever you get podcasts. In terms of the technical challenge, this was something that would have been familiar to absolutely everyone. Um, Perhaps not 
having made the babkas or rainbow bagels in the previous couple of weeks, you'd like to think everyone would have made an eclair, wouldn't you, Dan? Fru said, most think this is easy, but if you want high-end special ones, then you need to do a lot of work here. And this was perhaps made to look harder than it was, or am I being unfair? No, eclairs are really difficult. It's one of those things. Um, it's, it's, it's easy enough to make sort of a very ugly eclair, just something that puffs up. Um, but to make something that's very neat is, is very, very difficult. It's not simple at all. And, uh, and I think the fact that a lot of them struggle with that is, is probably, probably proof of that. For example, one of the best ways to get your, um, your shoe to rise evenly is to let it go completely cold um, before you pipe it. Um, that was actually Fanny Craddock's top tip. She's a very classic uh, British chef in the 70s with awful makeup, and she was completely tactless, which is probably why I love her. But that was her top tip. And yeah, and I think a lot of them struggle with that. And I think, you know, I made shoe in the tent and it went horribly wrong, and I can make shoe just fine, thank you very much. I think it's the pressure of time just makes people do crazy things. And my heart broke for poor Linda because, and when I saw her throwing her, her first batch of eclairs in the sink, I thought, oh God, no, you'll need those. Don't throw those away. And I think the pressure just gets to people and it makes them do silly, silly things. And it's probably not surprising that a few of them had a few disasters. Now, Howard, you barely have time in the tent. That's the recurring theme of every week when we do this podcast. So to try and make your shoe pastry not once, not twice, but three times, it felt inevitable that she would come in last place, and, and so it proved. Absolutely, and I, I think the sad thing was that she was hoping that the third batch was going to be so bad she could get away with doing a kind of deconstructed eclair and just allowing them to, to dip and fill at will. Um, and even then, it, it, it didn't work, did it? So, oh, bless her. What did she do wrong? I, I watched it again, and I cannot work out what she did wrong. Why I... did they look so awful and all that? Butter was oozing, or whatever fat they used was oozing out. They didn't rise. Did she? I, I, I'm completely lost. I have no idea what she did wrong. I, was I, I thought she. I thought it looked to me as if she'd put the ingredients in the pan together. So instead of sort of doing the 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 water and the butter first, and then shooting in the flour and cooking that off, and then adding the eggs. It appeared to me that she'd put the eggs in quite early on. So I don't know what she, I, I don't know whether that was true, but it certainly looked like she was making a sort of eggy sauce. When she was stirring in the pan, it looked very wet. So either she didn't cook the flour off enough, which would have meant it, the starch didn't burst and it didn't stretch and expand, or like you say, she just chucked in the eggs and stirred it together. And then, of course, that's never going to work. I don't I don't know. But it seems like the instructions were very cruel. They literally just said, make the shoe, didn't they? So if you don't know or if you can't remember how to make shoe, you are kind of you're, you're, you're up that special creek without a paddle because you're never going to get it right if you can't remember how to make it. Yeah, but it's something that, re sorry, it, interrupting. It's one of those things that, irritates me and I was sort of screaming at the screen for Linda who uh, said right at the very beginning that it's pastry week and all mums of her age can make pastry god no you're not setting yourself up for a fool and that was but you know I've said it last year on the podcast um every year you have to make shoe every year 
And every year somebody goes, oh, I can't work out why it's running or I can't work out why it's not rising. There are certain basics, I think, if you're going to go on Bake Off, and this is my pet moan, this could almost be a Howard Hump. This is a James, oh, I don't know what you'd call mine. But you need to make a Genoese because we all know that everybody trips up on a Genoese in a technical. You need to be able to make shoe. You need to be able to make a creme pattern. You need to be able to make a curd. Um, and they will just say, make a curd make the dough, make a, make the shoe. And you should know how to do those basics. So we've, we've seen it with everybody. It, it gets to a technical, one of those basics, they go, oh, my God, I don't know how to do this. All they've said is make a shoe. But yes, yeah, pastry week. You, you need to know how to make shoe. And, and I think you're right, Howard. Um, it does look as though she, she – the only thing I could think of is she shoved everything in the pan. Um, she, you know, it's one of those things you just – how to make a meringue you just need to know it so if anybody's looking at listening to this and wants to take part next year for goodness sake burn up on the basics because they will always do that to you and not give you any instructions um, and I hate to think that Linda just fell down because she hadn't bothered well not bothered that sounds really mean and I love Linda um, but she should have she should have done it. She should know how to do shoe with her eyes shut. Now, I can't get beautifully risen and I get I have ugly, ugly eclairs, Dan, but there's plenty of room to stuff in the cream in. Um, uh, and I don't care because you put enough chocolate and cream in, they taste delicious. So, um, I, I don't care that they're ugly, but I do care that they were, oh, they didn't rise. I was so sad, made me so sad to see her. her they looked like churros, didn't they? Mm. Yeah, they didn't look quite right. Now, Howard, not to put pressure on you, but we should advertorially mention that you have an Eclairs class coming up. So what, what are your uh, top tips for getting a uh, getting a perfect Eclair? I mean, there was mention, wasn't there, about that, you know, when you are dealing with the, uh, the shoe pastry, about a, a reluctant V dropping off your spoon, tips like that. <laughs> I, I, I do a sort of five-second test, so I, I, I sort of see whether it will, will drop. Um, sort of, um, I don't know how you would describe it, sort of loosely uh, within five seconds. But I, I think that is the problem that quite often with it, with uh, a shoe pastry recipe, you can't be exact because sometimes flour is, is slightly more absorbent and eggs are various sizes. So you have to have a way of testing it and just getting the instinct of whether you've got the right consistency or not, rather than saying it's definitely two eggs or whatever. Well, Dan, in terms of right consistency, Peter nailed it better than anyone else, didn't he? Yeah. I think uh, his were... The only thing that they said about his were they were a little bit too large. Um, and I think if you go to sort of... Well, certainly in London, the very fancy uh, eclair shops, there is a, there's um, a trend for them to be quite slim mm -hmm. and elegant. Um, but I thought... It, I mean... For a home-baked eclair, I thought they looked perfect. But I know that there is a trend for them to be a little bit thinner. But he, I think the big thing for a lot of them was getting their creme pats wrong. And I think um, he got the all the individual components correct. And um, I think that's that's why he won and that seemed fair. Uh, my heart broke a little bit for um, Hermine, though, because uh, I love her uh, just as a person. And, she, uh, you know, patisserie is sort of her, her strong week. And I would have loved to have seen her win just because Peter's already had some success. And it would be nice to see uh, Hermine win. But uh, yeah, I think it was a fair result. 
I don't understand this too fat eclairs. I, I would, I've got a little bit fat. You know, I mean, surely you want something that you can shove loads of filling in. The, the fatter, the better, I think, as long as they're baked. <laughs> so I, just, mm, I was accused of having too, too big a Victoria sponge. They were too tall. I, I don't understand this. It's cake. <laughs> I think the thing is, with, if, with an eclair, if you have to stretch your mouth wide open to fit it in, it looks a little bit unrefined when you eat it. I've got a big mouth, Dan. I've got a big mouth. They can be fat. Well, if anyone wants to learn how to make uh, an eclair with Howard, we can do that. It's this coming Saturday. Uh, The first class at uh, 5 o'clock UK is full, but still, as we record this, there are a few spaces to join Howard at what will be 8 p.m. 8 p.m. London time. Yes, Jane? That's a quick question. What was it they put on top of the pink ones? They seem to roll something out. Does anybody know what that was? Was that fondant or something? I anybody know? No. Well, I don't know. They didn't seem to mention that, did they? It had like something granular on the top of it, didn't it? I mean, probably raspberry powder or something. But yeah. Didn't yeah. seem to. They didn't seem to mention it. I don't know whether they had to make the fondant. I mean, just for anybody listening, they do publish on the um, Great British Bake Off website of. So the day after it's shown here, um, so I'm sh- in the states, you'll be able to get it early, I suppose. Um, they do publish the recipes, so you can this year follow all the technicals word for word on the Great British Bake Off website. So we'll find out. One thing I really enjoyed was uh, something Lottie said, where she she I love her dry sense of humour, and she sort of just as an aside, sort of said, "Yes, I'm just finding new ways to make scrambled egg." Yeah, I really, I really enjoy Lottie, and I just, I would love to go for a drink with her. I think she's a right laugh. Um, obviously, she's sort of beautiful, but she's also incredibly funny and sharp, and I, I love Lottie. And um, yeah, I'm, she's, I think she's becoming one of my favourites. Oh, I would agree with you. She is making me laugh a lot. I mean, I think one of our other comments for this technical was, if I could just not be bottom, that would be great. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really, really loving Lottie. Um, she, is, she, she has a brilliant way with the, with the presenters and the judges and to the camera. I love her. I love her expressions. She's great. Yeah, I think if, if we're ever allowed to go for drinks together again, I would like us all to go for a drink with Lottie, I think. Down at the bottom, it was looking pretty bleak at this point for Linda, who needed to do something special in the showstopper. And of course, this showstopper, Howard, a caged tart looking for an exquisite sweet tart contained within an intricate latticed pastry cage. They were told it had to be self-supporting and highly decorative to look and taste superb. And three hours, 45 minutes to do this. So what's the challenge here, Howard? What, what's the, is it about making sure that you've got something strong enough to, to support itself? I think it is. And I, I think it was one of those um, challenges where you're a little bit nervous at first because it sounds a bit like it's going to be something that's, that's all show and, um, you know, no substance. I've seen sort of caged fruit and desserts before. So where they've got a little pastry, uh, tiny little pastry kind of cage over the top. But I must admit, I've never seen a caged tart or something on that scale. So I was a little bit nervous that it was going to be beyond um, what um, home bakers would want to do or or could do. But actually, I, I, I think the majority of them did a really good job. 
And there were some really creative approaches, which I thought, on balance, I thought were a little bit undervalued, some of the creative ones. We saw different approaches, Dan, in terms of what pastries people went for here. What did you make of the different pastries we saw and what do you think you would have gone for for your cage? I think I would have probably honestly gone for, you know, like a, a sweet short crust. Um, but the one I like, so probably I probably would have tried to have done something like what Dave or Hermine did, where he's constructed a ge geometric shape out of flat pieces. Um, the one that I was really impressed by was Lottie, and she piped shoe, and I would never have thought to have done that. I thought I, that would never have occurred to me. Um, but of course, if you pipe very small, it doesn't actually puff up very much. It just sort of dries out and hardens. And that gave her a lot of control over the shape. And she made it look really dainty and elegant, which I think was sort of the point of the cage. Um, but it was still sturdy enough to hold. And I thought hers was brilliant. Um, I thought her cage was amazing. It's a shame the tart didn't match quite the same level, but the cage was brilliant. I loved that. And I think whilst forming the pastry over a bowl seems like the logical thing to do in, in the, the first thing you think of, it seems like the obvious choice. Actually, I think that didn't work out as well as making flat shapes and constructing them. I feel like that worked a lot better overall. Jane, which ones caught your attention? We saw Dave head to, head to France for some inspiration with his Louvre. That was fairly impressive, I thought. Stuck together with caramel, which is it's quite difficult. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally with Dan on the, you know, constructing panels and then sticking them together route. Um, I thought I thought Dave's was fantastic and sprayed. God, sticking with caramel is so much opportunity to burn yourself with those. Um, but it looked brilliant. And then you'd sprayed it all up. Um, and and uh, I'm, again, part of the Lottie fan club. Um, I thought her, I'd never, ever have considered using shoe pastry. I thought it was genius. Oh, that was really good. Hermine's um, was a bit heavy for me. Um, and I think that's probably why she didn't win Star Baker last week because of the heavy cage. But I... I would have gone the making it over a bowl route and I would have probably suffered the fate of Linda. Um, but I thought, we haven't talked about Laura, um, but I thought Laura's looked so pretty, um, really, really lovely. And, and Peter, of course, had a, um, a great, a great dome at the end of it and and although he had gone quite random I thought it was very very effective so I, I thought it's a choice of pastry that made this work I think and I have no idea why Linda's didn't because it looked lovely on the bowl and I thought it was so pretty um and I don't quite know why it didn't work and I also don't know why they used different pastries for the cage than they made for their tart case, because if you made a nice pate sucre um, or a um, sable, it would have been great for the case and it would have been, I think, great for the cage. Now, I, I'm going to make one of those this week um, just to prove myself right or wrong that if I can use the same pastry, that which might have been easier for them. Um, uh, sort of Mark with a K used his cage in rough puff. I just, rough puff is soft and delicate and. 
I, I, I thought right from the start that he had, he had made the wrong choice of pastry for that. So, yeah, it, it was more about solving the problems of construction than it was anything else, this one, I think. Um, but interesting challenge. And I will always say there's a lot of style above substance. But I think this one is one that we should all challenge ourselves at home because I think it just looks great fun. Howard, what went wrong for Mark with a K? Because by the time he got to the presentation, it, um, oh. it was a bit of a sorry sight. Yeah, I, I think it was a, a difficult shape to do in the first place. And I think it looked, I mean, I, I couldn't tell completely, but it looked as if he was using something like a rough puff pastry oh, was, um, yes. over the top. And I, I think, so you've got the fragility not only of the, the pastry itself, but then to try and do something with a span um, which which didn't have that kind of regular support. It was almost like an arch, wasn't it, with the, the kind of bottle shape. So I think um, I, I, I think it was one of those occasions where he just made the wrong choice about both shape and pastry, really. I think his tart um, sounded really interesting, the pear and sage, I think it was. Um, I'm always really nervous about using herbs in a sweet bake. Um, and so it's something I'm afraid of and I don't, I typically steer away from, but I thought, I immediately thought pear and sage, God, that sounds lovely. So I think, you know, obviously, I don't think he was really in any danger was Mark, um, but I think having a, a, a an interesting and delicious tart really probably saved him from being in any serious peril. Yeah, I've, I've done sage pastry in and with an apple pie before and that that's rather nice, I think. The, the combination of sage with the kind of apples and pears is, is quite a classic one, really. Jane, in the feedback Peter received, he was told it was a, something that could put a smile on a face, a tart that puts a smile on a face. I mean, that, that's pretty strong feedback to get. Yes, he got great feedback. Fairly classic combinations. A delicious hazelnut pastry um, for the tart case. And... Oh, you can never go wrong with a baked lemon tart and a blackberry curd, lemon and blackberry. I mean, I make a, a lemon and blackberry steamed pudding. I mean, it is a brilliant combination. Um, not necessarily my pudding, but certainly the lemon and the blackberry. And he did a lovely dome. Um, I, I really wanted to eat that one. I thought it sounded delicious, um, absolutely delicious. I mean, he not... It, I think he knocked it out of the park and I think he could have been a contender for Star Baker if he hadn't had sort of slightly iffy results. Oh, I don't know, though. Oh, I'm looking back now. He came first in the technical. Oh, I've been really interested to, to hear the judging on this one because I thought he did a really good job with that as well. Yeah, lovely tart. I'd quite like to have a go at that one. I mean, I thought they'd all made really nice tarts, to be honest. Hermine did a, a, a great job with her her lemon and lime. And then, oh, yeah, no, they all did a good job with the tarts flavours. It was the cages that let them down, I think. Yeah, and I think one of the things that was a big problem for Linda, I mean, well, she had a pretty bad week generally, but the thing is her tart was very simple. And I share mm -hmm. um, Noel's nostalgia. As soon as she said she was making a gypsy tart, I don't know how popular this is outside of the UK, but like everyone had these in school and they're just sickly sweet, super sugary, so rich. You know, you have one slice and, you know, that's enough. Um, but they're, they're just sort of a childhood favourite. And I thought, it's amazing. I love it. But your cage has to be great because there's not much work in the in the tart. And the cage just didn't work. And I felt so sorry for her. 
And conversely, Laura, I, it's weird. I felt like sort of a proud parent uh, when uh, Laura made hers because I just thought it just looked beautiful and she seemed so pleased with herself and so happy that she'd achieved what she set out to achieve. And I kind of, I, I felt proud for her because I thought it looked lovely and I would have been proud. I've been delighted to have made something that looked that good in the tent. So, um, yeah, I was thrilled for her, absolutely thrilled for her. I thought it was lovely. Well, Howard, we had Laura become star baker this week, which meant we've had five different star bakers in, in the five different weeks, which just looking back at the last couple of years, we had had, you know, Steph already be twice star baker by this point in uh, in the year before Rahul had been star baker twice in the uh, the opening few weeks as well. It's, it feels like a fairly tough race to call at the moment. Is there anyone here five weeks halfway in that you do feel... I can now see the winner. I asked you to pick a winner, you know, after watching one episode and, and that was hard. And I think possibly some of your predictions have, have long gone home, but have you got a potential winner at this point? <laughs> I think you said, I, I think you said in week one that Laura was, was a bit of a dark horse. I think you, you put your, uh, your money on Laura from the start. Um, I'm, I'm still holding on that. I think Peter's got, got mileage and Lottie, because I think they were the other two that, that I chose. So, uh, so yeah, I hope I've I've not put um, you know put a curse on that by saying the names again. <laughs> yes, you you did pick for four runners in a twelve horse race, whereas I picked one. So <laughs> slight advantage over me, Jane. It, it feels such an open competition. Oh, it does feel like a really open competition, to be honest. I, just, I still struggle, and I waver each week who I'm putting in my top three. Um, I think if Lottie is going to be in the top three, and I'm sure all of us in the fan club would love to see her in the top three, she needs to smarten herself up a bit. I mean, her flavours are great. She seems to bake things really well, um, but it all looks a bit of a mess, really, doesn't it? I think her tart this week um, looked a bit of a mess. Um, so I'd love to see Lottie in the top three. Um, but then I don't want anybody to go home. I mean, Mark with a K... I think could be there. Peter could be there. Herman could be there. Dave could be there. Laura could be there. <laughs> Mark, Mark with a C could be there. I mean, I, I really, I, I wouldn't put money on it at this stage. Um, I really love them all. They all have strengths and they're, they're all just so nice. Um, I, yeah, I'm not going to put the mockers on it and actually pick anybody. I think it could be. How many have we got left now? One, two, three, four, seven left. Well, I think it could be any of them, to be honest. Dan, have you got any thoughts at this point? Well, I think my winner is probably, from episode one, I think the winner is going to be Peter, I've thought, and I continue to think that. I, my prediction was right last year. Last year, I predicted David, David would win from the first episode. Um, and I don't, we don't actually know, I just feel we should point that out, we don't know what's happened, uh, but yeah, I think Peter will win it, I still maintain that Peter will win it, and I think he'll be joined in the final by Lottie and Mark with a K, simply on the basis of his beautiful hair, and um, <laughs> I, just, I just have the feeling, I have the feeling that those will be the three, and it's, but I do like the fact that it has been, it has felt a lot more open this year, more people winning, 
Um, and I've really enjoyed that. I think it's um, it's it's all, almost not as fun when someone is clearly running a, or appears to be running away with it. Um, although running away with it doesn't necessarily guarantee you anything. We'll remember, of course, that uh, Richard, who won five Star Bakers, didn't end up winning. Um, Steph got four Star Bakers. She didn't end up winning. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. But um, having it be more open, I think, is more enjoyable for, for the audience. So I think it's been fantastic. Well, it's definitely not going to be marked with a C in the final because Paul couldn't bear a good baker who's grizzled and good-looking and 50-something to be a competition, could he? So, poor old Mark, I think your your card is marked on that, that score, although I'd love to see him there too. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with Dan. It, it's so close, and I like that because um, in the past we could usually have put our finger on who would be in the final. And I'm just loving this series. I think it's great. I love the bakes. I love the bakes. Brilliant. Now, Howard, it's that time in the episode where we want to know what Howard's hump was from Pastry Week. Oh, yes. Um, I could have had another couple. Again, I, I think I said earlier on that I thought originality was a bit kind of undervalued this, this week. But it was something that Prue said uh, in the very first challenge. She said, most of our challenges are pure baking challenges. This time, the bakers have got to be good cooks too, because what's going in the pasty takes real cooking. And I thought that was a really odd thing to say. It's like, well, is is baking kind of fake cooking and not real cooking? I, th I think generally, you know, bakers and cooks we have to think about flavours, we have to think about how our ingredients go together. Um, and I think the two quite often are, are interchangeable. So I don't think this week was, um, you know, about the separation between what's baking and what's cooking. I think generally they're sort of the same thing. Dan, do you have uh, sympathy for Howard's hump this week? I do. And I just say, obviously, the viewers, the listeners can't uh, see, but the look of disgust on Howard's face when he said that was something. <laughs> um, but no, I generally agree. I have to say, I I think baking, for me, baking and cooking is slightly different in just in my mind, because for me, baking is something I do for fun, whereas um, purely for fun, whereas cooking is something I have to do because you got to eat every day. So it's to me, they are kind of separate things, but the, the skills and the flavour matching um are very much shared. Um, so yeah, just if you're a good baker, you should be able to cook as well. There's no reason to assume that if you're a good baker, you might only be good at baking. I don't think that's that makes any particular sense. Well, I don't think any of us had too many complaints about Linda leaving the protest this week. And congratulations to Laura, who, as Howard mentioned, I did tip to be a dark horse in this year's competition. So it's great to see her be Star Baker. Um, all three of you have upcoming online classes, which we should probably give a mention to. Um, Howard, just tell us we, we can make Black Forest declares with you. There's also a profiterole stack and even some pork um, pork pie and pick a lily class, although there is a vegetarian option. Um, you must be, we're looking forward to those. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I'm really pleased that, um, you know, they, they've, they've been popular so far. People have been signing up. Um, I think we just added another one on as well, which is gingerbread house and garden cheesecake. So um, I'm going to be quite busy. 
Diane, for people who are looking forward to baking with you, we have um, a couple of classes coming up. We've got your, your Madeleine Masterclass is, is back. You've got Pastes de Nata. Um, and then we're also um, looking forward to your chocolate Yule, Yule, Yule look. Yeah, well, we're very busy. Do you know, it's been lovely, actually. Um, we've had so much interest, particularly from, from America. We've sort of been doing the classes just for English people. And now we have these whole swathes of Americans who want to, to learn our classic English baking. And uh, yeah, it's, it's lovely. We're really enjoying it. And Jane, you ran your first classes uh, very recently, Donuts, which um, I can personally vouch for having, having joined one of your classes to make some donuts. And we're looking forward to your class next month of the biscotti and florentines and i'm, I'm going to be asking you to uh, to rack your brains for something else christmas related soon so uh i hope you've enjoyed joining us for online events as well oh i did yeah i loved doing the donut class whenever it was 10 days two weeks ago or, or whenever it was um, i'm slightly nervous to make donuts in a two hour or an hour and three quarter session we did run over but oh my goodness everybody made the most marvelous donuts and custard i was chuffed to bits with that so looking forward to doing biscotti so it's christmas gifts so you can make biscotti and they'll be ready for christmas um and some florentines which probably won't last till christmas because you will eat them all but yeah really looking forward to making those and yes josh all right i'll rack my brains for some more christmas ideas yeah, looking looking forward to it. And and Dan and Howard, your classes sound delicious. Can I can I sit in in a one or two? Love to do the pork pie and pickle lily. That sounds fantastic. Pastel donato, yeah, that well known British bake. But uh, <laughs> I do love them. <laughs> um, I do love them. We, we look forward to all of those. And of course, if anyone listening does want to join, they should head to bakewithalegend.com slash online classes. And if you use the code podcast at checkout, you will get 10% off. Well, we're halfway through Bake Off 2020. We've loved doing this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've enjoyed listening, please do leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And we look forward to having you join us once again next Wednesday. just heard a stripped media production.